Avrei Guam. Welcome to the after party. Uh, live to our Facebook fans, my name is Chris Barnett, of course, uh, the lovely Sabrina Salas Matanati. And from the Democratic uh, Party of Guam, uh, Mr. Carlo Branch. And from the Republican uh, Party of Guam, he's a national committee man, uh, Mr. Juan Carlos Benitez. And I'm just here to keep these guys from going at each other. <laughs> and of course, the after party, uh, we did it during the election. Uh, we kind of do round robin uh, topics. Uh, mm -hmm. You know recent uh, news events and i guess uh, right off the bat we'll start with um this issue of uh, the bureau of women's affairs uh, director jane flores um going national i mean this got some national media attention uh wanting to recruit uh and we're still trying to figure out what do you because an abortionist a doctor performs abortions uh mm -hmm. an abortion doctor out uh, of guam because we haven't had one since uh, may of um last year uh, you know there was a pro-life uh, rally uh a tragic rally uh, in which uh, one of the um, Republican Party's uh, big village organizers uh, died of a heart attack. So that kind of put a you know, tragic tint on that. But, you know, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, one, I guess I got to start with you. Is it the uh, government's place to stand up on a mountain and tell the world that we need a doctor who performs abortions here? Well, I, I, I actually think that it was very unusual uh, for a government to come in and advertise that we come here and become an adoption, abortion doctor in Guam when the government's not hiring anybody. Uh, it's interesting that it's an expenditure of the government that's been done to put this ads out. Um, and it's, she's doing it under official business time uh, because if a doctor answers and he argues, hey, I'm, I'm a, I don't support abortions, uh, and the government says, well, then you can't come and you cannot be hired. He ha he's, the government's opening themselves for a, a lawsuit for uh, religious discrimination. So why are we doing that when we don't have a doctor to per perform autopsy, uh, auto uh, autopsy. autopsy in Guam, which is something that happens every day? Uh, the, we don't have uh, urinary uh, pediatric doctors to take care of our children when they need operations when they're born with a... Uh, physical disabilities when they're children. Uh, I think there are other priorities that we need to be looking at uh, and don't quite understand why the administration will focus so much attention to this one issue. Mm -hmm. Carlo? Sure. Uh, I think my response is twofold, but on behalf of the Democratic Party, I'd like to extend our condolences to the family of the individual who passed during the protest, as well, as well as to the Republican Party. Um, I think what we know on Guam is that this issue is sensitive for many people and for many families. Uh, in my own family, we have somewhat divergent views. Um, relative to the issue about do we need safe, affordable access to medical care of all types, sizes, and shapes, the answer is absolutely yes. And I think safe and legal abortions should be one thing uh, that we allow women to have access to based on their own personal choices. So I don't see it the same way my Republican counterpart does, that no way. for choosing to do one, <laughs> fail to do all the others. Right. I think what this highlights is the fact that we need specialty care of all forms and types. As a person with a physical disability myself, and someone who is a child of adoption and was born three months premature, I particularly understand the value of life and the need for people to have access to medical care. Because right now, women who choose to exercise their constitutional right to an abortion have no access to that procedure in a safe way under the law. 
And I think what the governor recognizes is that even is that if even one woman dies as a result of an illegal or botched abortion, whether she attempts it on herself or goes to a third party, that is a life that we clearly could have saved. Uh, yeah, I think I think that you know there's always the abortion <coughs> argument, but. Uh, this was a little different because you're right. We had uh, the response of like, hey, well, we need all these other specialists. And, uh, you know, then uh, Jane, when I interviewed her, was struggling with this data uh, from 2018 that there was like 101 abortions and then 70 of them were because, you know, partners weren't using birth control, which to me, it's like, you know, and I agree with you, uh, as rare as often. Uh, but then, you know, Jane was trying to reconcile her calling for this doctor when a large like 70% of the abortions that were performed in the previous year, but really just because people were being irresponsible. Right, and I think that that highlights another problem we have on Guam, which is we need to exercise more personal responsibility. And that personal responsibility can be about our finances or the way that we relate to people on a personal and sexual level. That's a fact I think the governor does acknowledge. But that does not change the fact for us that a woman who personally chooses to have an abortion procedure done for whatever reason has a legal and constitutional right to that. And if women feel that they cannot exercise their constitutional right safely, that may promote a health crisis of the order we do not want to see on one. Yeah, but let, me, let me ask you a question, okay? So, so first of all, it's sort of awkward for me because it's sort of three men discussing it. Well, we have a three. woman right there. I'm and, listening and, to and, but it's not that there's any impediment for any private doctor to come into Guam and say that he wants to start this practice. Sure. The issue and concern is the priority of this government to put it as one of their key issues mm -hmm. to come on and tell the entire world, we need this and we're looking for somebody to come when they're not hiring. It's sure. it, when the government at the same time is facing other health crises right, yeah. that are... And I think that, that are, was kind that of the bonehead move on James yeah. Flores' right. part. I feel and, like... And I you think, know. you know, what, what Juan Carlos is demonstrating is an argument by exclusion. If you, don't, if you do one thing, it's to the exclusion of all others. That's right. a logical fallacy for two reasons. First, one of this administration's um, primary goals and accomplishments in the first 120 days of its existence was to get uh, language inserted into federal law that allowed us 100% reimbursement on Medicaid. That's an accomplishment that expands healthcare on one for children, for women, for men based on their income. I think that's a good thing. I think the Attorney General and Adelip have made very clear that they have exercised extraordinary steps to try and get a person here to do autopsies. And I think that the Republican Party throughout the course of the last gubernatorial election tried to make abortion front and center on Guam. And what we got as a signal from the electorate was that they also believed in a woman's right to choose because the governor, I believe, got 50% plus one of the vote and her nearest Republican counterpart barely got to 23% while abortion was a main issue of that election. So I think the governor is recognizing that we have an obligation to ensure that women who want this procedure done safely have that option. But that is not to the exclusion of all of our other priorities. Right, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I just I, found I it surprising because it just seemed like it just came out of, uh, the blue. out of the blue where I didn't hear about this during the campaign trail that, you know, yeah, sure. I want to bring I think an abortion way, doctor to Guam. Um, yeah, I think the that way it broke was, was she was asked. And, yeah. I think mm -hmm. AP asked the governor 
and then PDN, uh, another news agency reported it. And then, of course, our great reporters here followed up on it, right? right. So, so I think it is you know, somewhat aberrational to people in the states to hear that Guam, who elected a pro-choice governor, right. um, does not have any access to safe and legal procedures. I don't know if the, the I don't, I mean, yes, Lou is pro-choice, but I don't think this was a single issue election, as Lou said. Um, yeah, absolutely. The mm -hmm. And, and I, I think it was just really, you know, no knock on you, but I don't think the opponent was just up to, up to par for the fight. Yeah. And I, well, I think they, there was a lot of, there was a perfect storm that led to the, you know, resounding victory of, sure. of Lou and Josh. But I, I think, you know, I got to agree with Sabrina. It was kind of out of the blue. And I think a lot of people supported Lou because they kind of felt like, yeah, she's pro-choice, but it's not going to be a priority. And, I, you know, yeah. I'm not saying that it has been a priority. I mean, mm -hmm. it took six months for the, the issue to come up. But, you know, the problem I had with it was um, in uh, Jane's uh, stories with the national media, New York Times and a few other um, big media outlets, she brought up the case of this 12-year-old uh, girl, a tragic story. I mean, she was raped, impregnated, and um, she propped this girl up and said that no one can help this girl, and, you know, she's going to be forced to carry this baby. So uh, when I interviewed her, I said, and I just was under the assumption that she had personal knowledge of this girl's situation, uh, by the way, it was reported in the national media. And I said, hey, do you know this girl? Have you spoken to the family? And she was like, no. And I said, so you don't even know? If this girl's family wanted an abortion, she said, no, that's not the point. But I felt like it was irresponsible, especially come to find out later that um, they never wanted an abortion. And they're actually uh, with this safe haven organization uh, because they wanted at all times to keep uh, the baby. And, you know, um, I just felt like that was really irresponsible of Jane. I mean, I have my own thoughts on abortion. And I just felt like, I mean, we use this case of this girl and we shout it out to national media. And national media is like, oh, my God, Guam is forcing this young uh, girl who was raped to carry her baby, uh, and that's, that wasn't the case at all. No. Sure, yeah. and, and I, I think what you will see with any administration, no matter how old, we certainly saw it in the Republican administration, is that sometimes the execution of a message and the message don't always go as well as you would like. I think, generally speaking, most reasonable people can agree that abortion should be as rare as possible. Mm -hmm. I think, generally speaking, even Juan Carlos and I can agree that women should have access to whatever medical care they choose, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not um, the people who work for any politician or any governor communicate that message in the best way possible, that's a thing for some other people to debate. But I think knowing the governor as I do and working on her campaign, she was intently focused on expanding medical access to affordable care on all levels. And I think with her work on FMAP and her work with the legislature coming soon, you'll see that that is the focus. However, she was asked a question by national media about the absence of safe procedures on Guam. Mm. She answered that question. She did not dodge it artfully, as I probably would have instructed her to do. <laughs> but as Juan Carlos knows, that's what happens when you don't elect a career politician. You elect someone <laughs> like Donald Trump or someone like Lou who's going to vocalize their opinion, even if that opinion may cause some consternation back home. So moving forward, do you think with the, the backlash that uh, you know Jane Flores and, and the governor's announcement, um, do you think that this is, Juan, do you, do you expect the administration to keep moving this forward, or do you think they're going to move it forward under, you know, away from the spotlight? Well, well, first of all, Jane basically said she first call was going to be to Planned Parenthood. So, right. you know, it's very hard to push, pull that back, right? right. New York Times has published that Guam has, uh, it's marketing now for every, every, everybody. But for me, what's interesting is there's no job. 
it's not like the government is looking to hire a doctor. So it's sort of a weird going out to the world and saying, come to Guam, because here's a market where you can uh, Hey, we had a thousand abortions in the last five years. Well, and again, this is, you know, it's tough for men, but, yeah. you know, um, but I know um, that not all abortions are done by quote-unquote abortionists. Different women who suffer different challenges through pregnancy have eptopic pregnancies. They just had one a couple where, months ago, GMH. Yeah, where, where they do everything they can, intent on carrying the baby, but as a result of some malady or some challenge, they're not able to. So traditional doctors do that procedure as well. So I don't think that we're looking for this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde guy <laughs> that wakes up wanting to do abortions because that's the thing that drives him forward. Yeah, but that was I Jane's think, choice of words. Right? Well, yeah. Again, yeah. execution of a message. Right. A message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can you, go you, on and on about abortions. We could, and I don't want yeah. to because we've only got a little time. You, you know, Dr. Shea, is, I think, is, is perfect when he speaks about this issue. Mm -hmm. He brings the options that are locally available. There, there are a number of options mm -hmm. that are available to women at that time. Uh, this is just one option on them. I, I think our, my issue is not on the point of whether uh, we should, this should be happening or not in Guam. The law permits it. It's allowed under present law. I, I prefer people to be educated well on the adoption Absolutely. as an option before going there. Right. Yeah. Uh, my, my concern was only about is this the right role of the government right. and how they yeah. played it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I do want to say one final thing on abortion is I, I think I want to give credit to where credit is due, even if that credit is given to a Republican. Um, Mary Torres, in the previous legislature, passed safe haven legislation, which would legally allow a mother or a father, in this instance, to safely leave a baby at, I believe, a hospital right. or a fire station in a designated area without criminal consequence so long as the baby is safe. And I can tell you that um, the legislature has spent a lot of time talking to the over 202 foster parents on Guam and something that B.J. Cruz, a former family court judge, constantly reiterated to me is, though we love family on Guam, it's heartbreaking to see that 90% of all foster parents are not local. They're not Chamorro, they weren't raised on Guam. They are, you know, they are parents in the military or, right. or people who- Yeah, but I think at the same time, we have a lot of Chamorro families who aren't necessarily technically foster parents, but who take in uh, yeah, relatives. Yeah, I consider kids myself one of them. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, that, that kind of argument. And so know. I think the one thing that I did want to do is give credit to Senator Torres, as well as to say, you know, one thing that Jane said well, that I don't think she's getting credit for amidst all of the other beat up, is she said that in the 21st century, abortion should really be the last option yeah. discussed. Yeah. That we have safe and legal access to birth control, that we have sexual education in the schools, and that if we double down on those things, we can have this conversation less and less. Hey, on the Planned Parenthood thing, I want to tell you that Jane told me that um, a call was made, but that Planned Parenthood said Guam's population isn't big enough to support a Planned Parenthood clinic. So, sleepy. So let's move on to, to war. No, oh, okay. war reparations. Oh, war claims. That certainly is a priority of this administration. And yeah. You were telling me the Republican Party of Guam today, yeah. they... They, um, They're getting behind the Republican Michael's congressman. Well, we're Republican congressman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we uh, on the issue of war reparations. You know, the Republican Party. We've been working on this issue for for a while, and uh, and regardless of Senator uh, Congressman Sam Nicholas' uh, bill, but uh, we're trying to figure out a solution. His bill is getting some traction. We want to make sure we support it as much as we can. 
And um, there's going to be a hearing tomorrow. And the Republican Party and all five senators, uh, Republican senators, are sending a letter today to the ranking Republican in the committee and the members and uh, urging them to do a, a motion for unanimous consent. Basically, what it would do is tomorrow during the hearing, they'll, instead of discussion and looking at amendments, they would vote on actually passage of the bill through the committee tomorrow. And, uh, and, and we're unanimous in it. We think that there is an urgency on addressing this issue. Um, 75th anniversary of, of uh, liberation is coming along. And it would, it would be a, a great uh, show of respect for these people if, if this passes through the House and makes it into law. Do you think it would pass Absolutely. before Liberation Day? Uh, if they do, if, if, if they do a UC tomorrow, it'll pass committee tomorrow. Then it would have to be up to the Democrat uh, major, uh, leadership to decide when they would bring it for a floor vote in the House. Yeah. Uh, and, and technically, you have almost a month, so they should be able to, at the very least, pass it uh, through the House in that period of time. Mm -hmm. It has some challenges, you know, there's a uh, federal government has the go paid rule, which requires you to offset the, the funding and uh, this bill doesn't have uh, an offset on, on its cost. Uh, but it is in their discretion to waive that. And uh, so it's going to be under Congressman St. Nicholas and, and uh, as well as uh, Nancy Pelosi to decide whether they're willing to do that for the Good thing you greased it with those cookies. <laughs> hey, whatever it takes. Right. I, I also want to say that um, one of the first acts of this legislature, with bipartisan unanimous support, mm -hmm. was to pass a resolution which was also sent to the chairman, the ranking members, House leadership, Senate counterparts, um, which was sponsored by Amanda Shelton mm -hmm. <coughs> to fully endorse um, all of the war claims uh, pieces of legislation presently on, on the table, sponsored by Congressman St. Nicholas. Um, I think. Um, if we're lucky, and I want to thank the Republicans for helping us out with that letter as well. This is one of those issues where um, Speaker Mpinko, who I was a big fan of, got together with former Speaker B.J. Cruz, and they were members of the Federal War Claims Commission. Mm -hmm. So though Republicans and Democrats find a lot of things to fight about, paying war operations as quickly as possible is never one of them. But now we're fighting over who's going to get the credit. So we have, we have the effort by the administration, right? So they want to pay out the 600 um, uh, survivors before Liberation and, Day. And so Nicholas said he had no idea. He wasn't even consulted, right? Yeah, consulted so that's what's been more entertaining to me is this sideshow of so Nicholas complaining that he wasn't consulted or the administration saying whatever they're saying, and it just won't stop. Yeah, I, I think uh, what Speaker <laughs> Barnes referenced and what Vice Speaker Nelson has referenced is I don't think anybody cares who gets the credit. Um, right. My grandmother lost her mother in the war. Um, I know many of our family members did. And I don't think they care who gets the credit. Um, uh, this was a team effort from day one uh, that you know started with Congressman Wampat, went right. on to Congressman Blas, um, got worked on by Speaker Ampinko and BJ Cruz, and uh, you know was initially passed by Madeline Berdalio in both houses, and now we got to come back and fully get it done. So I, I think we just need to sort of rise above it, focus on it, and get it paid. And we don't need to rise above anything. But, but <laughs> we, the capital we, the right? Yeah. We. You know, you know, uh, it, it's it's it's. I'm with Carlo about trying to get the credit. I, I think the issue here is is getting things done. Is what's important for us. 
and I think it's the first time in a long time that, that uh, we're trying to work a bipartisan issue, truly bipartisan. I think everybody's uh, is really committed to trying to address it. Uh, there's some different points of view of how to address it. Uh, whichever is the fastest one, I think we should go. I do have to give credit to uh, uh, Con Congresswoman Bordayo because it's, it's a lot, there's a lot of criticism that's been going on uh, about her bill or what it does, it didn't do. I'll tell you the one thing it did that people don't give enough credit to is it saved the cause of action. Every single one of those 3,000 and almost 500 individuals that filed a claim if they pass, that claim goes to their children. Mm -hmm. Before that bill, the second that that individual died, the claim vanished and disappeared. There was no cause of action for their children anymore. Uh, now that is being preserved. Now what we want is to <coughs> expedite and actually give the money to the person that suffered through the occupation, at least in their last years of their lives, instead of just giving it to their relatives five years from now or four years from now. And uh, the good thing to say is the administration is on board. President Trump wants to pay this war reparations. He wants to get something in his desk. Uh, the question is what we're, what we're going to be able to get there, complying with the regulations and rules of the House and the Senate. And we're stuck in the middle of a bureaucracy, a bureaucratic process, and every single solution that everyone is bringing is basically bypassing the system, is asking for an exception or a waiver in which the system is done. One is trying to get the waivers done by the executive. The other one's trying to get the waivers done by Congress. Uh, I, I just wish that at the same time we're working <coughs> these two options, we would be working the traditional system of just trying to get an amendment into the appropriations bill. You know, And uh, I'm, I don't talk to Congressman St. Nicholas every day, but I would hope that he is looking at introducing one as a fail-safe. Yeah, absolutely. And this reminds me of a story that Governor Gutierrez used to tell often, which was, he and Speaker Joe T. San Augustine, who's also a firebrand, used to fight all the time. But he said, the thing we fought over was who got to help the people first, yeah. right? So I think if there is any of that sideshow going on, it is out of a genuine earnestness to recognize that we are running out of time, that people are dying, and this is a debt we should settle. I disagree. I think it's just really like, uh, I go back to who wants to get the credit. But I, you know, I think it's noble that the uh, governor, I mean, I find myself agreeing with this idea that, you know, we need to pay these survivors. And, I mean, they just don't have faith in the system. I mean, it's taken how many years? Congressman St. Nicholas had to introduce it twice. Uh, you know, there's no guarantee that it'll be before liberation. So I could see where the governor and the administration are coming from in wanting to pay these survivors. I mean, I, I think, you know, yeah. it's I, a good call, but I just don't, uh, again, the message, yeah. right? They just came out and were like, hey, everybody, we're going to pay the war claims, and then they yeah. split. I mean, and <laughs> let me put it into context. Before here, I was reading the commission's report uh, filed years ago now, and in the introduction it said that there were between four to 6,000 living yes. survivors. There are now 608 uh, adjudicated applications. Mm -hmm. There might be 800 survivors. So we're talking about less than 10% right. in that period of time right? That, are, that still remain. And so while I understand the debate about process and while I think Juan Carlos is absolutely right, I think we just want to get it done. Yeah, of course. But I think also it's a, it's bitter for me because we're paying it for ourselves and, you know, I mean, there's that and then there's, there's other people who lost um, family members during the war who aren't, you know, going to be able to ever get reps. Well, I, I, I think that's part of it is a, a two-tier battle, right? 
you need to the commission which was done during President Bush's time actually was part of the judiciary uh, of the <coughs> US Department of Justice at the time uh, recognized that there was a cause of action for the survivors as well as their relatives relative claim is a little harder claim to do because the US Congress has never in its history paid descendants right and if they do, they feel they open a can of worms to African Americans and Native Americans to ask for war reparations for the causes with their communities. <laughs> Somebody uh, having a house hearing on, I think, yes. in a week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, but having said that, it it is it is a I am grateful that we pa that Madeline passed a bill when she did because we're at three thousand and change people that will actually get war reparations paid to, uh, versus, as you say now, you, you guys are estimated 800. I, I, we estimate a little higher than that, but, it, but it, it is sad. I've had a lot of friends that passed away since then, and, uh, and some that are probably not gonna be able to see it. I do not see war reparations being paid before Liberation Day through the federal government. I think we have a shot at passing it through the House, but we still need to go through the Senate, and it needs to be signed by the President, and just timing-wise, a month is extremely short, even when you want to do something. Right. And I'm just disappointed, too, in this whole, uh, you know, Congressman Sir Nicholas saying he wasn't consulted, and uh, just really the sky is falling uh, message that uh, he's putting out. I feel like Tolino was right, the vice speaker was right to put out a letter that was like, hey, kids, stop fighting, let's all get <laughs> along, <laughs> you know, before I send you to your room. and. That's just the state of this, the politics on Guam, which is no, crazy. I think it's disappointing that we knew about this since last year with the yeah. whole issue. Oh, well, there's, there's that too. I mean, we so. can't let Congresswoman Berdali off the hook. Because? Well, because she knew about the technical flaw that would prevent the war claims from getting paid. Well, there, you know, there are sort of countervailing stories between that right. about that. And, you know, I don't want to weigh in on who I think is right. But something that has been an explanation, which I find plausible, is that this is a this is an issue of a tale of two different administrations? Right. Yeah. When the language was drafted by the Obama Treasury, or you know, was uh, aided through by the Obama administration, there was seemingly no major argument about right. whether or not the language was sufficient. Um, President Trump, his administration came in, and then their interpretation changed. So the Congresswoman's first path was to try and get that new administrative interpretation to be in line with the former administrative interpretation. That was not successful. Once that occurred, there had to be a statutory fix. But it isn't the easiest thing in the world to get in concert with a new administration and try to get them to see it the way the guy who had the job before. Especially with Trump's, it. you know, uh, he just reverses everything Obama does. Yeah. I, I think, you know, given uh, all the information that I've heard uh, relayed from the executive branch of the federal government, I think President Trump, and I'm not his biggest fan, is acting in earnestness. As Juan Carlos said, so I want to acknowledge that. We got that recorded. Yeah, yeah. We got it's recorded. <laughs> um, so I, I think the executive branch of the federal government is acting earnestly, yeah. and I think uh, you know Congresswoman Bergaglio um, may be getting a bit of a bad rap for the timing of the issue and the change of the administration. Right. Okay. What do you got next? Um, we can talk about the machete incident or the recent news that we just broke on the, the right. termination of Linda again. Right. So, I mean, maybe we could kind of squeeze in. I guess we'll start on the Machete thing. I, wow, what a fumble by the governor to, to come out. And I mean, we saw it with the Guma Tranquilidad thing, the blame the media, and it really felt like the blame the media approach was, it's always a bad move. 
Uh, but it works uh, nationally to so, <laughs> to so much effect, which is crazy, right? If you said fake news, would it have been maybe it have stuck, right? <laughs> But I mean, yeah. you know, to say that it was an exaggeration well, without. Well, that even... wasn't Melissa Savaris who said yeah, the exaggeration. Right. It was the governor who said it was blown out of proportion. Right. So, okay, they're kind of right. It's a little different. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I mean, without even consulting the people who were involved in this attack, the victims, I, th I thought it was kind of yeah. reckless. And then when we got the magistrates, it was way. Yeah, I mean, like we were under exaggerating. Yeah. It was crazy. And then in interviewing people, I mean, you know, when you kind of go out and you say that, ah, oh, they're blowing it out of proportion, the knee-jerk reaction from everybody out here who's dealing with all this rampant crime is to be like, God, are you out of your mind? Like, it's crazy out here. So I was able to go interview a lot of residents uh, in Manilao, business owners, and, uh, you know, it's, I'm pretty sure it's a similar story in a lot of other villages. Uh, there's a problem, mm -hmm. and it's not being exaggerated or blown out of proportion. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was interesting that uh, the governor kind of made a big to-do that we're going to have this meeting. <laughs> And then she split, and you know she wasn't there for the meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, but the meeting was very fiery, and you heard. I mean, Carlotta was Carlotta was there. Tony Babalta yeah. was there. Um, who else was there? All the FSM community uh, leaders were there. Um, and the one thing that I liked about it was, yes, everybody brought up their concerns about safety, but they also it opened this dialogue about you know what what can we do. Right. You know, to curtail the crime that's happening and you know even uh, Judy Guthertz who was one of the victims who actually was the, the person that I talked to the day it happened and we right. put it out on the news whether it was three or four one or two people that um, came out with the, the machetes she even provided her solutions um, number one was uh, working with the federal government and holding them accountable um, and enforcing the compact agreements. So, you know, I'm looking forward to more of the discussion when these meetings go right. to, to Mooning next week and to uh, Dededo um, on July 3rd. What I want to see is I want to I mm. see it seen through because, I, I mean, yeah. we've reported on this, uh, you know, every time there's an incident like this, there's always this, oh, we're going to get the church leaders, oh, we're going to go out <laughs> in the community, and then, you know, six months later you don't hear anything. So that's what mm. I like to see, I mean. And, and there are a lot of people in these communities uh, who are doing the work of trying to reach the youth with a yeah. positive message, and I don't think they get Nadine enough. Uh, right, right, from, uh, I mean, the guys at the Micronesian Humanity Resource Center. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're they were at Hamilani. They're doing outreach with uh, kids, mm -hmm. with you know migrants who uh, come to Guam. So, uh, Carla, thoughts? I I think it's right to acknowledge <clears throat> that the community is frustrated and scared and apprehensive. And I think um, it's never good politics to tell the community they're not feeling what they're feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think we have a problem with violence. Yeah. You know, in, 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 it's not just a micronation issue. Yeah. yeah. It's an issue with drugs, drug use. It's an issue of having both parents working and having children with a lot of time uh, on their own. and. Uh, we need to figure out how we address it and it, you know I wish I had a quick solution for you but but at the very least I feel that just saying there's a micronation error issue is a, is a mistake I think we have a bigger issue right we need to address uh, there was an effort to get Guam designated as a Haida it failed I think yeah. we need to unite both parties again on this I issue and try to address 
address it and say, hey, wait a second, yeah. you know, we have better data and we all feel that something is happening and it's growing exponentially. It is. I mean, now we got heroin, mm-hmm. right? And so I did a follow-up uh, story on the Haida thing with uh, Chief Ignacio, and he wouldn't even admit that we have a problem with methamphetamine. And I don't know if that's because uh, everyone's trying to tiptoe around, you know, we got a new administration and, you know, watch what you say. But, I mean, God, if the chief of police can't even admit that we have a meth problem, uh, which the governor did in her State of the Island address, I think that's a problem. Yeah. I, I, I don't what want to it, say... What is it? I always hear Doris Lord Brooks say on the KOM promo. The first step to fixing the problem is acknowledging <laughs> no, it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, uh, recently there was a, a, a group of experts that dropped by the island and they were talking about the opioid uh, epidemic and there are about settlements about to come up on nationwide and Guam hasn't presented a case yet. Uh, but they were saying when they look at the statistics, the, the same percentage of uh, opioid use in Guam was the same that was happening in the mainland. But in Guam, it was like nobody wanted to talk about it. And they, they, they also said, because of the micro uh, world that we live in, the movement on the am, uh, amphetamines went faster here. It shifted really quickly out of the opioids into the amphetamines. And they're saying, you guys have a big problem. And you're starting to see in cases, if you ask the FBI, if you ask some of the agencies uh, what cases yeah. they're prosecuting, we have a big issue, and, and, it's, and it's not slowing down. So do you think the administration's soft on crime? Do you want to see, do you want to see them focus on, on these issues that people are dealing with on a, on a daily basis? Yeah. Well, well uh, I, I do. Um, I wouldn't say that she's soft on crime, because she did campaign, and I'll mm-hmm. give Luke credit, uh, the governor credit. She did campaign on increasing the number of police officers right. and round. And I have to say that in, in Tamuni, I have now a patrol that goes around the same square over and over through the day, which I feel sad for the officer. Uh, but but the uh, the question is sort of looking at the resources and where we allocating mm-hmm. them. We we do have a drug issue. I think that there needs to be a bipartisan effort again with the congressman and the governor, mm-hmm. as well as with the parties, to figure out how we address it. And mm-hmm. maybe we do it together with the Northern Mariana Islands, mm-hmm. and we go into the states and try I, to get. I it. think the other thing that I want to highlight that doesn't get much play is that we have to. <clears throat> acknowledge that we have a basic economics problem, right? Yeah. You do not defeat supply unless you dwindle demand. Mm-hmm. And so the reality of the situation is that whatever we're doing, we're not doing enough of. For the first time in an executive branch budget, at least since I've been a part of local politics, uh, there's $1.1 million for a drug treatment unit at um, behavioral health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, that's a 16-bed unit. That $1.1 million will only cover six beds. Mm-hmm. Right? So we need to do more there. We are, there is funding in the budget to hire an additional 50 cops in addition to the 30 we just hired. But with our existing rate of attrition and our need to uh, fulfill the president's mission in Syria, we just drop, you know, another 30 guys. We are directing resources to the port, but only 5% of all containers are getting inspected. The statistic in the previous administration is true here. Right, so we have a huge problem and we're not gonna be able to enforce our way out of it. So there is something broken in our society that is driving people toward addiction as a means of escape. And until we have an honest conversation at our kitchen tables and within our families about what that is, we will never solve the problem. Yeah, but my my, my concern is we're focusing on on the 
Intangibles? No. We're, 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 the main problem is that we need to focus some of our, a lot of our resources into education and teaching these youth that this, the, the impact and, and, and efforts of drugs. Because mm -hmm. if all we do is, is put more in enforcement towards the end of it, right. at that point the addict is an addict. Right. You know, it, yeah. it is trying to get our, our youth and realize, look, this is what the road you're going to be getting yourself into right. if you start here now. And I, I think and it's you have, cool. I think that on both sides of the aisle, yeah. you see legislation sort of in that kind of direction, right? In the last couple of weeks, uh, with Republican co-sponsors, yeah. Senator Lee introduced a bill for a pilot program for mandatory mental health first aid. And that program, which has been nationally tested, um, is directed toward allowing teachers and counselors to identify and get help for the initial um, symptoms of depression and drug addiction. Because we see in our schools, at middle school, uh, an increased use of methamphetamine, opiates, and other drugs. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have a patchwork system that needs to be built into a stronger fish net. And we all have to come together to do that. I think that it's um, it's not right to, to say that we can't enforce it. I mean, like, God, we just had the budget hearing with the chief, and um, we have, we're short hundreds of officers. So mm -hmm. I, I think if we get to that level where we're adequately staffed and then it's not working, then maybe we could talk about, oh, enforcement isn't the solution. I think we, we, we in the community, we deserve like a no, baseline. For both of us, what I would right, say is yeah. it's not the only part sure, of the yeah. solution. Right, right, right. It's a much larger equation. Right. Yeah. But I think because we deserve to get at a baseline level where, uh, of you know, safety. And, and we deserve that for a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think what we need to acknowledge is sort of what Republican and Democratic presidential and um, national candidates are acknowledging, which is drug addiction of all sorts is a public health crisis. Right, right, right. That and does have, you know, criminal links that we sure. need to resolve. Yeah. But if we had an outbreak of influenza or, or of smallpox, what yeah. would we do as a community to resolve it? Well, you know, we do drastic things. We shut down the airport. We turn the hospital into hundreds of emergency treatment beds. We call out the CDC and flood the flood Guam with a right. hundred yeah. specialists, right? But I feel if like you don't address like, a drug problem with the same degree of seriousness. Mm -hmm. You're not really going to make a dent on it. You're just going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah but how are the drugs getting a, in here? Because you don't just make. Yeah. They don't. There's no meth labs. I don't believe. Well, in Guam. now they found so, those shaken big yeah. labs. Oh, so, here. So not. Yeah, it's. I think I still, I'm trying Don't to remember. Don't give anyone who, any ideas. I'm, I'm trying to remember who we, I was here, and I said that there are met some meth labs in Guam, and yeah. they said, well, you, you have no proof of it. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I, unless I found one specifically and say, hey, here's a meth lab, uh, but, but reality has become so easy with the micro labs, mm -hmm. they're done in a bottle. Mm -hmm. It's no longer like the guy in the big trailer like they do in, yeah. in, in Breaking Bad. Now it's literally in, inside a one-gallon bottle. You mm -hmm. can make, it, you make your own batch. And that was acknowledged in the drug strategies report that BFP released. All right, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think addiction is one thing, but I mean, we're, we're people are addicted to drugs, yes, mm -hmm. but they're also uh, breaking into people's houses, yes. their home invasions, violent crime. Mm -hmm. There's just so much going on with, with addiction and addiction-related crime. And, yeah. you know, we've got this system at the court. I don't know what the hell they're doing there. They're, like, letting all these violent offenders out. We've got, you know, felony offenses while people are on felony release. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, God, there's some basic problems with our system that I think we need to fix before we can say, like, oh, yeah, let's focus on treatment. There's people living out here, man. It's, dude, we're, we're targets. But it's hard to focus safe. on treatment when, like you said, there's a 16-bed recovery unit. Then you have the Lighthouse Recovery Center. It's constantly you know, full. Yeah. full. And I believe 
Is, is that it? That's all we Lighthouse have? Lighthouse Oasis and the unit we're about to build up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we have a 100-foot problem. We're in a 100-foot hole with a 10-foot ladder. Yeah. And everybody's going, well, why aren't we climbing out? And the reality is that the people who dedicate their life to addiction treatment and prevention, they're saints, but there just aren't enough of them. Mm-hmm. And Chris is also right, right? Like my dad, they want to see ironclad enforcement. They want to see enforcement of the three strikes law. They want anyone dealing drugs to go to, to go to prison forever and never come out. I don't necessarily disagree. I just know that I'm from not a, that, not that bad. I just, I, I just know that from an economic standpoint, markets are served based on demand. Yeah. And until we settle that problem, we will always mm-hmm. have someone willing to fill that need. Yeah. Well, well, there's an obligation. One of the principal obligations of any government is to keep its people safe, create a it's safe environment. And I, and, I, and I understand the need for increased policing, particularly in, 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 in areas that this is really prevalent and it's happening almost All every over week. Long. Yeah. Uh, but if we don't also address the source. All we're going to keep doing is arresting guys that are involved or girls that are involved in, in drug use uh, over and over and over again because right. we're, only, we're, we're only getting them after the fact. Right. And what I think is it's a two-prong approach. We need to create a safe environment for now, but realize we need to start stemming down the, the, where they're coming from. And, and it's, it's, an, it's a system right now where we have unsupervised youth uh, that are bored, don't know what to do, and are getting hooked up in these drugs. And once you're in it, it's 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 horrible to to go out, you know. And uh, I, I'm fortunately been blessed not to have to deal with that issue in my family. You know what? I got an idea, free idea for all the senators. You know, we have the adequate publication uh, education. I think we need to do something with adequate public safety. I mean, yeah. we need to like as like I said, establish a baseline. This many officers, no matter what it takes, I think that we deserve that. And I think that's a good, you know, I mean, I want to focus on treatment too. At the same time, I think we deserve to be safe in our own community. And again, this is one of those argument not by exclusion, right? right. Because we can do one of course. does yeah. not mean it's to the exclusion yeah. of all others. But I think that we're not, we're really, really, I think it's egregious the failure to keep the public safe. And it's no fault of GPD, but I just always bring up this point that you know, we have this tremendous shortage of officers, but you never have a shortage of like political hires or, you know what I mean? So again, well, it's like- I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, my brother is a, my brother works at DOA and is a part of the special ops unit that they have at DOC. That special ops unit, which does high risk transfers and warrant seizures and all that stuff. Of that unit, there's something like four of those guys, all on deployment, all in the same unit, right? Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of cross draws. This is not like, choosing to hire Juan Carlos over choosing to keep my brother. This is, there are a lot of demands for people with that skill. A lot of our boys and men serve this country to their honor and credit, and we all have to figure a way out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it becomes, what you're bringing up is, is I, just want, you know, I just feel like I just want more cops out there to protect yeah. us. Hey, we spent some simple. time with the 24 <laughs> police recruits going through training right, right yeah, now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, well, what's her heart is this administration has increased salaries and a lot of the political I mean, appointees yeah, you know, and yeah, added new that, positions you know, don't hire into the, the, the administration. And hire Juan Carlos and uh, there's a, there should be a happy medium somewhere. Yeah. I, and I think the point is, when we look at the allocation of resources and funding for the government, is complying with adding the cops going to be the priority uh, versus adding another 
supervisor or deputy director into another agency. Right. And, and I, yeah. I guess what I'd say is, you know, and, and Chris, you've done this reporting, so I'm quoting the number, I believe, from your reports, which is Adloop might have raised individual salaries, but the total aggregate spending is still within the budgetary level and still less than the previous administration. Right. The sitting budget, we're talking about actual proofs now, the mm -hmm. sitting budget is three million more than the current budget for GPD, the lion's share of which is toward the hiring of new police officers. But you know, another thing that we don't like to talk about in the government of Guam is even our police force is rated by other law enforcement, marshals, TSA, customs, because they get hired more than cops and because that job is a little less strenuous. Right. So we even so the moment we recruit, post certify and train our guys in GPD so that they're out on highway patrol, there is somebody on the Fed side or on the court side knocking on their door saying, you know what, we can pay you 30% more and you'll spend a little more time indoors, right. right? And so the tougher part of the conversation in these austere budgetary times is we may seriously have to look at making police wages competitory with at least all other forms of law enforcement. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I see what you're saying about my stories. It's, it's something I really want to revisit. I know there's been more hiring, but... I'm saying going forward, we weren't supposed to hire deputy directors, and you know I don't know. I wrote that budgetary yeah. provision. You know, yeah. Gage, you yeah. said it was not organic. Right. We kind, yeah, of, yeah. kind of knew it, but yeah. we had hoped to. But send at a the same time, I'm, you know, if if I was governor, it never happened. But if I was, I would be <laughs> like, hey, yeah, it's inorganic, but you know, it's a damn good idea, and let's go take all that money that we would have hired all these deputy directors with, and let's go put it where it would be better used. And you know, it's. Well, Trump's doing that. He keeps the naming acting directors of offices. He just lost his acting uh, secretary of defense. Okay, but we better get out of here before this spirals. Yeah. I, I, I do want to say, uh, it's it, today uh, we passed the president's birthday, so I congratulate President Trump on his birthday, and today was his announcement of his re-election campaign. Uh, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, but it, as you... He's going through the circuits. He keeps bringing up the China's intrusion into the islands of the Pacific as one of the main themes of his re-election process and the threats that he's facing. So, so we're going to war with China. We, so, so probably it, in a cold it's, war. It's, right. a, it's a good thing for Guam in, in, in the fact that he thinks about this region a lot and the military funding that was is being presented both in the Senate and the House looks very good at the new projects coming in online for Guam and the military buildup. So I think for... We're finally seeing it uh, starts to ramp up to the next level of uh, expenditures. And, yeah, and I'll admit that when the president came in and he undid the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, mm -hmm. the Obama administration had a two-pronged strategy with China. Mm -hmm. One was to realign our forces, that was the Pacific pivot, mm -hmm. and two was to create a, to fill the trade vacuum uh, by isolating China with the TPP. When the president undid the TPP, a lot of us were afraid that the Pacific pivot wasn't going to happen. And I think now that you see tensions escalate with China that no one wants a target on their back, I think the Trump administration is increasingly understanding the value of this region of the world and the fact that China is making very specific uh, overtures to a lot of the island nations surrounding Guam. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, just because the TPP was one of the things that I advocated against so strongly uh, through all the years, uh, I will remind that the TPP excluded Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, and American Samoa from the region. So they would have created the largest uh, trade zone region in the world, And but those no ship from those countries could stop in Guam, Northern Mariana Islands, American Samoa, because if they did, they would break the link, and then they would have to get a, like a, 
ton of permits and requirements to have all their goods recertified. So it really would have been devastating for us if that agreement would have passed the way it was drafted. I really got angry at the U.S. Trade Representative under the Obama administration when brought up with the issue. He said, oh, well, I'll negotiate a different deal for Guam and the Northern Mariana Islands that could be better. And when asked, when would he do that? Oh, when we find time, because you're not allowed to do it. It's only us. So it's when the U.S. Trade Representative will find time in the future to do a better deal that he just did for the United States and in creating the largest trade center in the world. I called baloney on that, yeah. and and it was frustrating and so sad to see. So I'm so happy yeah. that President well, Trump took it out, and uh, and I'm and I hope that when we create our new system of trade with the with our neighbors, we make sure we include it. So the right. Korea trade agreement did not include Guam, the uh, Australia trade agreement did not include Guam, the New Zealand trade agreement did not include Guam. We should be aware of those. I, I think one, I think Juan Carlos highlights the fact that. You know, our federal relationship always tends to be unequal. So I've given up hope, for the most part, that they're going to be advocates for Guam in course, as far as yeah. trade is concerned. Mm. The one reason that I did find some value in it was nearly every time that we speak to an APIL leader, mm. we are told, wow, we have this great relationship with China. They just built our capital building. Right. They yes, just yeah. gave us $300 million for bridges. Yeah, you go and to so, Yap or Palau, there's like so, so much Chinese When investment. you are Guam, a U.S. territory, being surrounded by groups of people that are now finding a better deal with China. Yeah. That worries me significantly. So Juan Carlos is right. Guam gets screwed on trade deals. But I also need the sitting protection of the flag. And I need them, if we're going to be dependent on them, to keep China at bay. And that means if you don't want bloodshed, you use economics and diplomacy. I agree, and I think you're seeing more from this pressing that you have seen, you, you saw from the Obama Well, you guys should get your own show. <laughs> Do we have time for anything else? Or? No, I think we're about to That's up. it, pants it? Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, uh, Carla, thanks for... Thanks, sir. All right. Juan Carlos, always a pleasure. pleasure. Thanks. Sabrina Salas-Mantanani. <laughs> this has been The After Party. We're coming back up with another episode of The After Party on Monday. Monday at 6.30 p.m. And we'll have The After Party uh, live here on Facebook twice a month. And we're going right. to do trend spotting tomorrow, okay? And that's going to be, um, you know, hot. It's going to be with... Um, our host Asha, and then we all jump in and we talk about um, the issues. And there's so many issues to talk about that we didn't even get to today. Yeah. So thanks all for right. watching. Adios. Bye.